to Mark chapter 11, 1 through 11, reading a very familiar chapter this morning called the triumphal entry. You'll see that it's maybe not all that triumphal at the end, uh, and we'll make some sense of it. But if you're following with me and you're taking notes, I just have three simple headings in my outline, just help you follow along with this. The first one is Christ's journey to the cross in Jerusalem. You just dash that Christ's plan. It's Christ's plan versus man's agenda. Mark 11, 8 through 10, man's agenda. And then the last one, the anticlimactic conclusion. What do we make, how do we make sense of this strange passage as you see as we go through it? The title of the message is, Where is Our Hope? As I've been thinking about this throughout the whole week, uh, I, I had an opportunity to take my boys and a few of the elders to Washington, D.C. this week. Uh, kind of revisit a year and a half later or so, uh, the same place that we did missions, a mission trip in May 2021. And uh, it was uh, just good and refreshing in a sense to be back and to, to remember that we brought 180 people there at that time. And it was just a, a, a great trip to, to share the gospel in our nation's capital. But I couldn't help but just look at all the buildings again, all lit up at night as we're walking down the mall. We were there for a conference on the sufficiency of scripture uh, it was a perfect timing. We went to the Holocaust Museum, just a perfect time for our biblical worldview class. And it was just good to be with the guys and uh, just talk about where do we find our hope? Where is our hope? Is it in scripture? Is it in the Lord? Uh, is it in politics as it's before us? As the world has become so political, uh, where is our hope? And I uh, couldn't help but think of the passage that we're going to be turning to this morning. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and read it? Uh, but before that, I want to just give you guys... Um, just sort of a, a, a timeline of the Passion Week, because we're entering now into the Passion Week. Uh, we're, we're starting Easter season now in the fall. I know it's kind of weird in a way to think about that that way, but, uh, but we we'll start with Saturday. So Saturday is, is six days before the Passover. They arrived to Bethany. If you remember, uh, Lazarus was just raised from the dead. They're about to have the Martha and Mary uh, uh, or the, the, the passage where the, Jesus goes to Martha and Mary in Lazarus's house. Many people want to see uh, Lazarus who has been raised from the dead. On Sunday, you see uh, si- Jesus is at Simon the leper's house. Uh, that would be considered, quote unquote, Palm Sunday, if you're very familiar with that term. Uh, it was, uh, that was that Sunday. Palm Sunday is, is not the triumphal entry. That is, uh, many scholars agree that that was Monday and the reason behind that is because uh, Jesus uh, came to fulfill the law and be the, the lamb that was appointed to die. And so they would be selected on the 10th of the month. And then on the 14th, he would die as that lamb. Uh, and so uh, f- four, five days later, and he would be chosen to be the lamb of God in John one twenty nine. If you remember that John the Baptist de- declared that this is the lamb of God and three and a half years later, he would become that lamb that was selected, the perfect lamb without blemish. And he was be killed on the same day, Passover the same day, where all these other lambs would be slaughtered. And of course, Hebrews says that the blood of lambs, goats, they, they can't, it can't actually, bulls, they can't actually take away sin, but only the lamb of God, the Christ who came to die for our sins can do that. And then on Tuesday, after Bethany, he returns uh, back to Jerusalem. He cleanses the temple uh, he curses the fig tree. We'll talk about that next week. And then on Wednesday, there's this controversy between the religious leaders and the, the sermon on the second coming 
and then uh, Judas's plan to betray Jesus. And then on Thursday, you're very familiar with that day, that's the Passover dinner. And then he goes to Gethsemane, he prays, he's then arrested. Uh, he goes through a bunch of trials, the Sanhedrin, Pilate, and then Herod. And then on Friday, continues those trials early in the morning. Uh, then he's crucified in the afternoon. And Saturday, he's put in the grave, or Friday, he's put in the grave. He's in the grave on Saturday. And of course, Sunday, third day, he's resurrected. Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And so it just gives, kind of gives you a little timeline of where we're going, if that's helpful for you, um, because we're going to spend that last week together as a church until March, until right around the actual Easter Sunday uh, that we celebrate as a nation. So, um, so go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 11, and we'll just read uh, all the way through verse 11. So it says here, As they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite of you, and Im- immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one yet has ever sat, untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back here. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, just as Jesus had said, what are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them and gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they cut from the fields. And those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus then entered entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. And so what's going on here? I just, I'm going to build this up and I'll help you understand just what is happening here. And then we'll make some sense towards the end. Because it is a very peculiar passage. It, it, it ends sort of strangely. If you're reading, even if you read that, it kind of ends strangely. And as I was wrestling with that throughout the week, I'm like, it sort of ends kind of in a weird way. But let's back up and make some sense of it. So on Monday, Jesus simply just grabs two of his disciples. He grabs Peter and John. This is Christ's plan. This is, he knows exactly what he's doing. Remember, he told his disciples three different times, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer and die, and then they're going to put me in the grave, and then I'm going to resurrect three days later. And his disciples couldn't quite wrap their mind around that. Remember, the, the prevailing thought of the day was that Jesus was going to come, be the Messiah, and come to rescue them from Rome, uh, rescue them from oppression, deliver them from, from this Uh, this pagan, godless nation. Uh, God's people could not possibly uh, be under this, that God has, is going to bring a savior, but they always thought it, thought it more of an earthly sense, a political sense. And so Jesus is showing them that he is the true king, the true king of the Jews, the true king of not just the nation though, but also internationally, he's, he's the king of all the nations and all those who place their faith in him. And Philippians 2 is very clear, too, that everyone's going to bow to him at one point in their life. And so Jesus grabs his two disciples in Luke 22, 8. It was most likely Peter and John, two of his best. He sends them out. He says, look, go into town. He's, he's, omniscient. he's our omniscient Lord. He knows all things. He had not maybe gone through that town. It's not hard for us to wrap our minds around that. He's God. He knows everything. 
And he says, go and, and here's my instructions and, and do as exactly as I tell you to do and bring this colt back, bring this donkey back and, and I, I will sit on it and pray myself into Jerusalem. This is the first time we ever hear of Jesus taking any mode of transportation. He walked everywhere. And so Jesus was gonna walk, uh, uh, sit on top of a donkey and, and make his way in, not on a, some majestic horse, but uh, humbly on a donkey couple of little details maybe you want to look at here. They put coats on the top of the back just so that he wouldn't have to ride bareback. And uh, no one ever sat on this, on this donkey before. And, and usually it was uh, the, the horses or donkeys were reserved for, that, that were reserved for kings would never be sat on. Uh, and so uh, it was a special, uh, it was not broken into. Uh, this was reserved for a king and uh, remember Mark's audience. He's writing to Rome. He's writing to the Romans. He's writing to a pagan nation. He's trying to fill in some details here. He's trying to show you that this is the king. As he, right out the gate in Mark 1, he, he says, this is the, John the Baptist is, is preparing for the arrival of the king. And these people now, uh, at least first look at it, first glance at it, it looks like these guys are all in on it. They're like, hey, this is the king. Let's parade him in. Let's help him in. Let's lay some branches down. Let's, let's lay our coats down. The, the, the coats were symbolic of expressing submission to the monarch, uh, a, a king who is elevated above his subjects. Um, they knew who the, he was in that sense. He was powerful. I mean, they, they, this was his entourage, his people that witnessed the, the, the raising of Lazarus. This is in the same context, Bethany. It's the same context of, of he just saw uh, blind Bartimaeus last week. I mean, people are like, this is the guy. I mean, this has to be the guy. I mean, we're following him. We're certainly not going to follow Rome. And the Romans were most likely on looking here. They're, they're, they're looking as they're reading this passage, as we're reading it together. With their, with their insight, with their, with their eyes. And this looks all good. This all looks amazing. This looks like a setting up to the, the, the climax that Jesus is going to take over the world. In that sense, this is the coronation, if you will. The branches symbolize joy and victory. I think we could all say for a moment they recognized him as king. They saw him to be king, Messiah, the anointed one. They knew the scriptures. They have read them before. In fact, Matthew 21, 4 and 5 uh, adds something a little bit more than Mark and quotes Zechariah 9, 9. It says this, that say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle, mounted on a donkey. I mean, you'd have to be blind not to see that. You're like, this is it. If you're familiar, I, I, like I said, I, I love the, the Lord of the Rings series, but you got, you got all these prophecies, you know, and it's like, it's building up, it's building up, it's building up. I mean, that's kind of the feel here. I mean, you got these prophecies, it's building up. They're like, wait a second, donkey, donkey, okay. I mean, riding in Jerusalem. I mean, this is, this is just kind of weird in a way. This, this must be the Messiah. This has to be the Messiah. There was a lot of excitement around this. They recognized him as the king. Zechariah 9.9, the king is coming to you. He's humble. He's uh, with salvation. He's going to come and save your people from what? From sin. Not from Rome. Not from paganism. 
Not from bad leaders. Not for a more cushy life. Not just to be healed. This signifies the reality that his first coming was not to reign, but to die. But to die. That's exactly why he came. And I, I, they, were, they, were, they were super expectant, but they were confused. These people were really expectant. I mean, they're, they're waiting for the very things that we wait for. That maybe we hope in. That we're believing for. That maybe we're praying for. I would say that, yes, they were expectant but confused. They, they were not pleading for salvation from sin, but prosperity, deliverance from Rome. But when Jesus did fill their, fulfill their hope, they began to reject him. Do you know how many coronations like this are happening on every Sunday morning around the world? There's so many false coronations happening. People are singing songs all the time that Jesus is going to fulfill everything for the human life. You follow Jesus, you'll have plenty of cash. You follow Jesus, you're going to have a wonderful, amazing marriage. You follow Jesus, you're going to have the perfect family. You follow Jesus, your house will never fall apart. You follow Jesus, you'll never get sick. Or at least it's not God's will for you to get sick. I mean, there's false coordination every single day on TV, YouTube, Sunday mornings, life groups, all across the church, all across the world. False coronations. People are passionate and excited, but shallow in their commitment. They're not only expected and confused, but confused, but they're also passionate and excited. People are throwing branches, throwing their, 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 their outer cloaks and for this king to come in. And in one moment, they're, they're praising him on Monday and then saying, crucify him on Friday. A very fickle people. And before you judge those people, you might want to just take a look at your own heart. What fickleness is there? What kind of fickleness is happening in your own heart? Because it goes from fickleness to hostility, doesn't it? Very quickly on Friday. How can a people get so excited about a person coming into their town, treating them like royalty, and then moments later treating them like a criminal? How is that even possible in the human heart? Oh, but it is, isn't it? It's, so, it's amazing how quick we go from praising the Lord when everything goes well, and then in our mind, maybe not out loud, cursing him. With at least, if anything, withholding praise. Withholding our praise because things don't turn out the way we thought they would. Luke 19, 41 to 44, what did Jesus do when he went in Jerusalem? He wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't bothered, I guess you could say, by people's fickleness. He never is. He knows exactly what's in the heart of man. He said that in John 2. He said he knows he's, he's, not, gonna, he's not receiving the accolades of man because he, he, even early on in his, in his ministry, he knew, I'm not going to fall for that because I know what's in the heart of man. 
It's a wonderful example for leaders. That, that is, if you're a leader or a life group, I mean, people love you when you tell them what they want to hear. And as soon as you put a little pressure, you might share some truth. You might give some advice. It might go contrary to their plan and agenda. And all of a sudden, they're not singing to the same tune. In fact, they're just downright angry at you. They're not happy. You're messing up their life. We don't want to miss the real Jesus. We don't want to mistake his plan for our agenda. It's happening every day all around us. It's happening all the time. So there's, let's read on because I think it's important for us to see this anticlimactic moment of like what is actually happening here. And it leaves the readers of Mark saying, I, I'm, I, in a way, I am, I am confused. I'm a part of the confused party here. So what's happening? I thought you were going to do something. I thought you were going to save the day. I thought you are the savior of the world. And as they were spreading their coats on the road, others were spreading leafy branches cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, just means save us. And they're saying, save us from this, save us from this, these wicked headlines that we're seeing week after week here in America. Save us from these people, these wicked, foolish people. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's from Psalm 118. It's a fulfillment. It's happening right before their eyes. The prophecies are beginning to come. It's, it's beginning to solidify. He is the one, but people are missing the one who's coming. They're missing him. Even as they're saying, even as they're quoting prophecies that are fulfilling his coming. How ironic is that? They're saying the very thing. They're like, we're quoting Psalm 118. We're quoting the, the Lord is coming, but they're totally missing the Lord. Blessed is he who's coming, the kingdom of our father, David. He's the son of David, Hosanna the highest. These are the highest praises you could ever give for someone. And they totally missed. This isn't the Jesus that they were hoping for. So after all this, as it says here in verse 1, it says, as they approached Jerusalem. So it took them some time to get there from Bethany. It's 300 feet difference in elevation from the mountaintop of the city. And the Mount, the Mount of Olives, city of Bethany, was a little village on top of that mountain. And then they descended to Jerusalem. And after looking around at everything, he left back to Bethany. Now, why in the world would Jesus do that? Why, why would he go through this massive celebration, entourage. It was a wild scene. People yelling in the streets. People excited for this one that they were thinking was going to come and deliver them. And meanwhile, in his own little world, someone's like Jesus is in his own little world, going to Jerusalem, into the temple, and after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the 12 since it was already late. So what in the world is happening here? Kind of a big letdown if, you, if you're reading this and following this. 
Like, what's the, what's all the, what's the purpose of all the ruckus? Well, you need to turn to Ezekiel 11. In 586, what happened in 586? Does anyone remember what happens in 586? The transportation of thousands of God's people to Babylon. The glory is gone. It's not, all, it's not all about the temple anymore. It's not all about Zion, Jerusalem, the holy city. That thing's getting destroyed. That thing's getting annihilated. There's not going to be anything left. Not one stone left upon another stone. The enemies are going to come in there, put a hook in their nose, and drag them off. They're done. It's game over. So you got to look at the Old Testament to kind of make some sense of all this. And Ezekiel eleven twenty three says something really interesting. It says, the glory of God went up from the city of Jerusalem and then stood over the mountain of the east of the city in Bethlehem, the Mount of Olives. The glory of God is gone. Left Jerusalem. And if you guys know that Jesus is the temple, he is the tabernacle, he's the living, he's the, he's the, uh, the living tabernacle, which all the sacrifices of the Old Testament point to. And you read that in John 1, 1 through 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, it literally means to tabernacle among us. God is in your midst. This is what all the prophecies and everything was all pointing to to begin with. Back, even way back in Genesis, man sinned, God had a plan. And that was always to save him from their sin to bring him back into a relationship with God. It appears anticlimactic, maybe to the, to the, to the person who, who doesn't really know their Bible, who just glances quickly and says, oh, that was nice, and then kind of moves on. And he's about to, again, destroy the temple. But Jesus goes into the temple and he looks around, and I would imagine he looked around, he's a tw- remember he was a 12-year-old boy. What did he do at 12? It's the only thing that we know about his childhood. Where was he? He was in the temple. And his parents didn't know where he was. His parents were like, where were you? Well, didn't you know I was about my father's business? And I would imagine as a 12-year-old boy, now he's 30, he's in his 30s. And he's back at this temple and he's looking around saying, how in the world did it become like this? This is supposed to be a place of prayer. This is supposed to be a place where people meet God. And these people have prostituted the place. Make a buck. This is not at all what my father had designed it to be. But he knew who he was. He was the temple. And what does he say later on? In John 2.19. Destroy this temple. And I will raise it up in three days. Church. Do you see what happened? Do you see what everybody missed in this section? The glory of God that was sitting at the Mount of Olives, Jesus himself walked down back into the temple and brought the glory of God back with him. The glory of God has now filled the temple and nobody saw it.
Why? Because they're busy with Fox News and CNN. You're missing it. You're forgetting that the, that the coronation goes something a little bit like this. That when, when he dies, he's going to go to the right hand of the father. That's going to be the coronation. There's nothing official about his coronation. Absolutely nothing official about this. It was done virtually spontaneously. Coronations don't happen like that. This coronation was done virtually with no fanfare, pomp. There wasn't anybody official there to witness this. This is when Jesus walked out of the waters of baptism. The father's like, this is my son who I'm well pleased. The father is not coordinating his son at this point. But the father will coordinate him officially. And where do we get that from? Philippians 2. That he will die this horrible death. He will come and he will die this horrific death. But God will exalt him three days later. And put him at the right hand of the Father. And everyone on this planet who's ever lived and whoever will live will bow at the need of Jesus. At their knee. And, and confess with their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everybody will do that. Every Muslim will do that. Every Buddhist will do that. Every atheist will do that. Every Democrat will do that. Every Republican will do that. Every soul on the planet will do that. Everyone who thinks they're God. Everyone who thinks they're in control. Every police officer. Every president will do that. We'll bow to the same Lord we worship this morning. That will be the coronation. Won't be on a donkey. He's coming back on a horse. He doesn't care about what people think during the false coronation. He doesn't really care. He already said what's going to happen to Jerusalem. He's not even caring about what's going to happen to the temple that all the religious leaders are like, don't touch the thing. And he's like, you don't understand. I'm going to destroy the temple and three days later I will raise it. And I'm talking about my own body, but it's just they didn't understand that. But then he also says in Luke 19, if you remember, that you're going to be, Jerusalem's going to be barricaded. It's going to be destroyed by the Romans, by the very people that you don't like and hate and are fearing. It's going to be annihilated. And they're like, no way, not going to happen. Well, then, 40 years later, AD 70, toast. The entire city of Jerusalem, done. And what does Jesus do? He weeps over the city. Guys, this is our response to a falling world. It's to weep over the city. To pray for them because they're going to be destroyed. Their world is going to be destroyed. And you will too if you do not repent. You might laugh at that. You might chuckle at that. You might sneer at that. You might do all sorts of things in your, in your mind. You might even say, you, you might even be cursing in your mind at the idea of that. 
that it will happen. To put our hope, what are we, what are we fighting for? What are we, what, are we, what are we living for in our day right now? Jesus is making it so clear. All these people were like, this is it. This Jesus is mine. He's ours. He's our savior from Rome. It's going to happen. We're finally going to get back to what we call normal. Are you understanding what I'm saying? We're not going back to normal, guys. We're not moving towards a utopia. We've already been judged as a nation. We've already been judged. It's foolish talk to be like the disciples in Acts saying, when are you going to restore Israel? When are you going to restore this nation? When are you going to restore, we we say this, when are you going to restore America back to its glory? The glory has departed a long time ago. The glory is in Christ. The glory is in the end. And the second coronation is going to be even glorious than the first one. Because Jesus will reign on this earth again. And the new heavens and the new earth. And even before that, the millennial kingdom. And he'll reign with us. Those who have given their life to him. What a wonderful, amazing privilege. That's what we should be looking forward to. That's what we should be actually chit-chattering about. That's what we should be talking about in our cars. Not the future of America. But the future of eternity. That's what we should be talking about. But instead we don't. We talk about the utopia that's coming here. There is no utopia. There is no utopia. There is no future on earth. That might sound incredibly, incredibly depressing, but it's not. The glory of God that departed in 586 came in AD 30. And it will come again when Jesus arrives. But he's not coming on some donkey. He's not flipping about what people just, their praises, their false praises, their fake commitments to Christ. He might have been okay with that. He didn't actually say a word, did he? He didn't say one word about that. He just said, I am the king. They're they're putting branches down. There will be victory. It's like in his own head, he's like, we're playing a different movie scene here. we're We're seeing the same thing, but we're thinking different things. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was going to Jerusalem to die. And these people thought he was going to Jerusalem to take over. And that's what we do every day of our lives. We have our own agenda. We have our own realized future. And you're only setting yourself up for major disappointment. You're foolish to do that, church. I want a church who knows the truth, who is able to come in each other's family rooms and able to share each other real hope that Christ is coming again. Do you know him? He's coming and he's gonna ride on a horse And he is going to defeat his enemies as soon as he meets them. And if you're his enemy, you're you're done. It is game over. So what is this all about? It's all about the remnant. It's all about the remnant at the end of the day. Let's go get him. There's remnants. There's a remnant in your neighborhood, in your family, 
in the nations, there's remnant in Rome still. This is written to the Romans. And there's still a remnant there in Rome. Do you know that? We're not trying to make Rome better. We're not trying to make the United States of America better. That's not what the missions program is all about. It's going after the ones and twos. And as soon as you realize that, you'll have real hope. Because Jesus is looking for the ones and twos to build his real kingdom, his spiritual kingdom. And then one day it will be realized in the physical and the new heavens and the new earth. That's what we put our hope in, church. That's what the wonderful thing is about. That's why we need to know the word of God. Romans 1 is so clear. I talked about it last week at ADS. I made a case for it. That Romans 1, you can read it later for homework. But Romans 1 is so clear, guys. That people are not committing acts of homosexuality and now getting judged for that. People are committing acts of of homosexuality and sexual sin and having a depraved mind because God is judging us for rejecting him. For the wrath of God in verse 18 is, is revealed from heaven because they have rejected Christ. And because they've rejected Christ, they're making stupid decisions. That is why. That is a sign of judgment. Everything that you look at, you can look at America right now. You can look at our nation right now. Just look at every single headline. It is a result of a depraved mind. And you can back it all the way up to they don't want God in their life. It's pretty simple, isn't it? So what are we putting our hope in? Politicians who don't want God? We're just going to be just as foolish as they are. Right? Hello? Church, are we awake this morning? Amen? Amen. Where are you? Hello? It's like you've never heard of this before. And maybe you haven't, and I understand that. But read Romans 1. It's a very perfect diagnosis of what's going on around here. You're like, man, how could they make... You're like so bummed that this next decision on CNN or Fox News or whatever news station you watch, you're so bummed, you're like... Oh, I was praying the opposite. And God's like, no, I've judged them because they've rejected me. It's a free fall. It's game over. We're done. We are done. But there's hope, real biblical, biblical hope. Because we find ourselves in the same place is the triumphal entry. We are in the same place as a nation as they were as a nation. Oh, Jesus, would you restore to us again the glory of Israel? No. Then where's the glory? It's in the temple. No, wait. It's in the temple. It's right here. And you're missing me. You're missing me. You're trying to use me for your agenda. And even though I understand it, and somewhat it's good, but if you would hope in me, I will give you something better than your realized utopia. I'll give you something so much better. Do you mean to tell me you think the new heavens and the new earth is less than a realized America, a beautiful, restored 1776 America? 
Come on, church. What in the world are you putting your hope in? What are you doing? Sometimes we can be so confused, right? We can be so expectant and so excited about something that we think is coming, yet be so confused. And that's exactly where the Jews found themselves. It's exactly where these people were cutting their branches. Took time to do that. Took time to take off the cloak. They knew exactly what they were doing. What are we doing? That's the question. Now listen, we need to fight for the truth, okay? We need to fight for truth. We need to fight for righteousness in our land. We need to use the system. We need to use everything that we got still as a God-given gift. You listening? This is not a message about like, forget it all, you know? This is like, no, there's still grace. There's still grace. We're still supposed to pray for our leaders. First Timothy is so clear. Pray for them. Pray for our leaders so that it might well, go well with you. My flesh still likes cushy life, at least somewhat, right? Who doesn't? But when that's taken, what are you gonna do? We still have hope. We have real, true, biblical, long-lasting hope, and it will come. Jesus is coming back. You and I, we will all die either before that or when he comes. Those are the only two options that we have. We'll either die and meet him or he'll come and meet us here. It's the only two options for humanity. There's only one important decision that you'll make is who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say he is? It's the most important question that you can ever ask. He is Lord of my life. He is Savior of my sin. And he is not coming to bring us a nice little cushy life in America. Those days are over. The Father said he has judged this nation already. It's done. It's clear as day. You cannot fight that. You can pray for the remnant. And you can be the remnant until the end of the days. That's all, that's all you got. And it's a wonderful thing. I say that with such joy. You got to figure this out, guys. You got to have a good theology. You can't just be asleep at the wheel and sleep on YouTube, just scrolling through and listening to what everybody else says. You'd be a fool to do that. Listen, don't just scroll on social media and be a fool. Know the truth. Know the truth because it will give you, it will set you free. It will give you a long lasting joy. Be a part of the church. Don't be offended with one another. You can't afford that. You can't afford when all hell breaks loose just to be offended with your neighbor. Who do you got? You're going to go make yourself a bunker that you bought on Fox News? What a fool. Who does that? You're going to buy some cheap food to last in your little bunker that they sell? No, we're supposed to be sharing with one another. We, we still practice hospitality. We still live out. We still share the gospel as boldly as ever. The five rings of the church, not going anywhere anytime soon. The only one that's going to be cut off, guys, is the fifth one when the mission's over. But we still have the remnant. Let's go find them. Spend the rest of our days telling people that there's real, true, biblical hope. To not put your hope in politics. To not put your hope in some realized uh, utopia, some, some sort of just, it, 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 we might have good days come for months maybe, 
And praise the Lord, we want more grace. We need to pray for those things. Pray, pray as hard as you can. Pray like that God would, that God would move politicians, that he would, he would move your, your, your coworkers and, and your bosses and teachers and, and all those things. But don't try so hard to make this world just the way you want it and miss Jesus, the real true king who's gonna come and set up a new heavens and a new earth and make all things right. Don't miss him. Do not miss him. This might be one of the most important messages you hear all year. I believe it is. I believe the the wrestling all week through this passage was not in vain. It was a hard passage to wrestle through. It was not an easy one. I'm like, that's all it is? It just seems like, what? I'm like, Lord, what what, what do you want us to see here? I want you to see what everybody else has not seen. What everybody else is shouting I'm just quietly going into Jerusalem by myself into the temple and saying, this is what I was put on this earth to do. To save sinners. To bring a remnant with me to heaven. While all those jokers, they don't see any of it. Because on Friday, they're going to all tell me, crucify him, crucify him. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for the hungry and humble because that's what we started this church with. And we will end when he comes home to grab us. The hungry and humble, they will see the truth. That will set them free. Father, thank you so much for giving us your truth. It is so clear that you left Bethany and you came into Jerusalem for one purpose, not to hear the accolades of people saying, Hosanna, save me. but to go into the temple to fulfill the prophecies, to be the true temple, to be be the tabernacle God with us, to bring the presence of God to, to the earth, to save them, to bring them home. We have quite a message to 